Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome, everyone, to March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, and on this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Kansas Hall of Fame head coach Bill Self. Also, Dave Warlock from the NCAA. We're going to break down the new net rankings that came out on Monday. And Chad Acock from Turner Sports, a little prediction time. So all of that coming up on March Madness 365. And, of course, our Cats ranks. I'm going to look at the top 10 breakout freshmen who are ranked outside the preseason top 20 recruiting rankings. But first, let's get to our headlines in college basketball. At number five... Now you beat Seton Hall, which is the in-state rival. What does this say about Rutgers basketball? Well, we're here. We're looking to compete every single game. We're looking to go out there and get a win. And, you know, this is just a great environment. This is stuff you dream of as a kid of New Jersey. Rivalry upheaval. Rutgers beat Seton Hall. Dominated the Pirates. This is coming on a week where the Scarlet Knights knocked off Wisconsin and Seton Hall at home. Things are turning for the Scarlet Knights. Memphis upset. You could say maybe in Knoxville, even though they were ranked. Tennessee, maybe it's not an upset. Without James Weissman, maybe it is. Bottom line, it was an ugly game, but they won without Weissman, which is yet proving again this team is deep and certainly can make a just a, a you know a run to Atlanta. BYU beats Utah State. So Utah State's come back to the pack, if you will. It's kind of happened in Nevada last year, where all the expectations are in Nevada and the Mountain, Mountain West. And they hit some speed bumps. And Utah State's experiencing that right now. Tough games at St. Mary's, playing BYU. Um, not easy for the Aggies. Uh, early in the season, they didn't have Nemes Keda. But look, BYU's got Yoli Childs back. This is huge for them. They're going to be in the mix for the, going to the NCAA tournament, no question. And New Mexico sweeps New Mexico State. Look, I covered this rivalry for five years in the 90s. It is heated. Not as heated then, but is intense. People have to understand that. But the Lobos getting the sweep. They knocked off Wisconsin. Keep in the Mountain West. New Mexico is going to be right there with Utah State and San Diego State to potentially get a bid. At number four. We had a little bit of lull, but I thought for the most part we fought, fought hard, uh, defended well, and was able to come away with a great, with three great wins. Georgetown moves to 3-0 and with wins at Oklahoma State and SMU and then over Syracuse, all without James Akinjo, who decided to transfer. That happened on December 2nd. And they're now 1-0 overall without four players. Josh LeBlanc, Galen Alexander, and Myron Gardner. The last three were embroiled in various uh, legal complaints dealing with burglary and harassment. And Kinja was not in any of that. And yet Georgetown, with only seven contributing players, they added, uh, well, George Murison. Yes, that George Murison, the son. Um... He played very sparingly the first time, uh, so they used eight against Syracuse. But Mac McClung has been phenomenal. He was our National Player of the Week last week. I was at the game Saturday. You know, depth is going to be an issue for them in the Big East, but right now, they're 3-0. Headline number three. 
What a statement by Texas Tech. This was a program win. Without Jemias Ramsey, their leading scorer. Remarkable. And what a big win for Chris Beard and the Red Raiders here in New York City. Texas Tech revival. The Red Raiders, the reigning runner-up after losing to Virginia in the national championship game last year in Minneapolis. Well, they stunned number one, then number one, Louisville in New York for their first signature win of the season. Uh, This came without Jemias Ramsey, who we'll talk about later in the show. Uh, He has a hamstring injury. And so for Texas Tech to win this game in New York, great accomplishment for Chris Beard. Team just plays hard. They defend. And they're going to be in the mix for a bid, even though they struggled, lost three in a row, two in Vegas, and then one at DePaul. And number two. A huge win here for Gonzaga on the road against a very good Arizona team. You win at Washington and inside this building? Gonzaga's West Coast dominance. It continues. The Zags are now 3-0 against the Pac-12's best teams this season. All three games away from Spokane, by the way. Beat Oregon in a thriller down in the Bahamas at the Battle for Atlantis. They won at Washington in a very heated rivalry game. And then on Saturday, they knocked off Arizona. They were up big, lost the lead, held on. Killian Tilly sprains his ankle. It looks like twisted his ankle or something right at the end. So he doesn't play the last couple minutes. Uh, everything is just coming together for this group. And they're winning on the road, winning on neutrals. Only loss was to Michigan in that championship game in the battle for Atlantis. And once again, Gonzaga is building a potential one-seed profile. Again, at number one. For the fourth time this year, the number one ranked team in the nation suffers a defeat. Our headline of the week, a new number one. For the fifth time this season, there's a new number one in college basketball. The Kansas Jayhawks. Ohio State could have made a strong case, but they lost Sunday night at Minnesota. So, Michigan State, Kentucky, Duke, Louisville, and now Kansas. And what does Kansas have next? They're at Villanova. I'll be there Saturday. Games on Fox, Big 12, Big East. Then, after Christmas, at Stanford, a Stanford team that's a bit of a surprise. So, they're going to lose. Because, by the way, then they open the, uh, the Big 12. They're playing West Virginia. They're going to be playing Baylor. They're at Iowa State. They're at Oklahoma. They're going to lose. We're going to have a new one. And we're going to have another one. There's going to be the most number ones, I think, ever in this season. Selection seedings are going to be a problem. No question. And, by the way, our National Player of the Week, Luca Garza, he's averaging over 20 points a game, uh, really helping Iowa become relevant again. Uh, and in the mix, they won at Iowa State. He was huge in that game. Uh, so the Hawkeyes also knocked off Minnesota in the Big Ten. He's our National Player of the Week. And our Team of the Week, as I just mentioned, Texas Tech, they're back. So those are your headlines in college basketball for the week. So we have a new number one, the Kansas Jayhawks. So why not interview the head coach of the number one team? That's what we do here at March Madness 365, Kansas head coach Bill Self. Uh, Bill, first, um, you've had number one teams before, but uh, it's all relative to each season. Uh, What's it like to get this team to that level? Well, I think it's uh, – I don't think that we necessarily deserve – that, but I don't think anybody really does, to be honest. I don't, I don't, Andy, I could be wrong. I don't think there's an undefeated team in the top 15, is there, or something like that? Well, Auburn, Auburn's remaining 
uh, and then the other two left are San Diego State and Duquesne and, and Liberty. So, uh, you know, yeah, Auburn's the only one in the top 15. And, and, and so that, 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 uh, uh, and we didn't play well in, in, in our hardest game, you know, obviously in the Champions Classic against Duke. And, but we have, we have improved since then and we, we gotten better. And certainly, uh, uh, I'm okay with being, being number one. Uh, uh, you know, I know we're not going to run the table. I, I, I know that, you know, it, it, it'll probably be, uh, uh, a mixture of teams, uh, uh, that continue to, hold that spot as our schedule gets tougher, you know, going to Villanova, going to Stanford and, and then our league starting uh, uh, on January 4th. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got uh, two really hard road games, obviously uh, uh, before we get the league. So who knows what will happen, but I, I do think we're playing better. And, and uh, certainly uh, uh, I like our guys. And, and if, if we can be, I'd rather be there in February or March, obviously than now, but I, I do think we're off to a good start. Yeah, your schedule gets brutal here because you got this road swing around Christmas at Villanova. I'll be there Saturday with you guys on Fox, and then at Stanford after Christmas, and then you start the Big Twelve with West Virginia at Iowa State, home Baylor at Oklahoma at Texas. I mean, there's no, there's literally no gimme games in the Big Twelve. So anything that was preparing uh, is over from this point forward. It's all going to be hard. Um, I want to just go back to the turnover problem that happened in that Duke game 28 I mean that I would think was more of an anomaly I mean how much have you guys corrected that from that first game we're, we're still we're still careless with the ball uh since that game we're probably at we're averaging 14 for the year but if you eliminate that game we're probably averaging 12 uh, uh 12 and a half something like that so uh I think it's a little bit of anomaly but but the, but the reality is we're not a great ball handling and uh, uh passing team uh, and, and, and at that particular time, we were, we were really trying to figure out how to play, uh, with two bigs in the game and, you know, our spacing was awful and, and, uh, you know, we, things weren't flowing well. So we kind of, we played selfish that game. I thought, I thought our, I thought our thoughts were selfish and our, and certainly, uh, uh, our actions were as well in that game, but, uh, but, but since then it's, it's gotten better, Andy, but, but still yet we don't, we, that's, you know, when we play our two bigs together and it's shown, it can be effective uh, without question passing to each other, but, but our spacing hasn't been as good. And it seems like we do turn it over quite a bit more when, and it's not necessarily the bigs, but you know, you play two bigs. Now you take away driving slots and things like that, 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 that are an important part of our offense. We've just been so much better when we can spread the floor. Uh, uh, and I think that's why turnovers have gone down. Now the teams that you've beaten since then, uh, and I'm thinking about that three game stretch, uh, you know, I think they're really good. They may not be ranked as high. I'm just curious your impressions of when you played BYU and Dayton in Maui, and then as well, uh, taking care of Colorado. Well, well, you know, uh, we thought BYU was really good, and of course, when they when they got get their kid back, which he's back now, yeah, Yoli Childs, uh, uh, he, he, they're they're going to be good. I mean, they're they've got a legitimately good team. Uh, uh, I don't know it. You know, they've lost some games without him that may end up affecting uh, uh, postseason. I don't know, but I, I think that's an NCAA tournament team, and and Dayton. Uh, Andy, seeing them up close, uh, they were without question the best team in Dayton over three days. Now we we beat them, we you know we blew them out in overtime, uh, 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 you know. So obviously that was a coin flip game, but hey, they're terrific. They they they, they may be a top ten team, and, and and topping is great. I mean he's 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 as good a player as we played against thus far, and 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 uh, you know Tad's got a good team at Colorado. 
the game that we played them, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well. But but I I think those are good games. I think Greensboro's a, a good game. I think yeah, NC East State Tennessee, had to heave a buzzer beater to beat them. I know it. I, I think I think uh, East East Tennessee State is a very good game, and of course. Duke's a terrific game. And then, of course, playing at Villanova will be probably our hardest game thus far. You know, uh, 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 we've all we've always had great games against Villanova, but it seems like to me they've got the better of us of late, especially in big games. So 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 that'll be a huge challenge. But but uh, I I do think our schedule has been good, but I think the appearance of our schedule is going to get a lot better because most teams have played their hard non-conference games and we still got at Villanova and Stanford and Tennessee left. Oh yeah, that's a yeah, part of the Big Twelve SEC challenge. One other thing, Bill, that that I love about this roster, and you've done this so well over the years, is you always have a couple of headline guys, and this year it's Azubuke and Dotson, and then the rotation guys, the role guys, whatever you want to call them. You know, McCormack, uh, Garrett. Um, you know, that may not be nationally known have really sort of embraced their roles over time. Um, if you can, just what's been the, the secret to that with some of these specific players that have really fit the way you needed them to? Well, you know, one of one of the advantages of being hurt last year was you got a lot of young guys in playing time. And so, you know, David McCormick ended up starting last year as center, and now he's our starting foreman. He, he had 28 the other day in 16 minutes. Uh, uh, which is kind of a breakout game offensively for him. Uh, uh, Ochai Abaji, who we were redshirting last year, we pulled him out of redshirt uh, with about 20 games left, and and he's our, I believe he's our uh, third leading scorer, and, and is is going to is is a terrific prospect. And and then uh, of course Marcus Garrett's, I think the best defender I've ever coached. He, he's he's he is uh, he's really he's really good, especially on that end. But he's he's gotten so much better with the ball and. And creating for himself and others, but so so we got a nice team, we, but it's not made up of uh, of uh, you know uh, first rounders uh, as as much as maybe what some of our better teams have been in the past. Uh, uh, you know, you look at that team that that team that Villanova actually beat us in the Final Four a couple of years ago. You know, you got Devontae Graham, Steve McCauley, Malik, Malik Newman, and 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 Doak. I mean, you got good players that may blossom into pros and, and, and have successful careers, but but really not that well thought of on the national stage. And and uh, I really don't know what the reasoning is for that. But we've taken some we've taken some less heralded guys as freshmen, and those guys have turned out to be you know, as good as a herald of guys as, as uh, sophomores and juniors. So that's probably a testament to my my, my uh, assistant coaches. They've done a nice job recruiting. And this rotation of number one seeds, what do you think will be tougher when we get there for the selection committee, uh, selecting or seeding? To me, it's always seeding. Uh, uh, yes. you know, we've, been for- we've been fortunate, Andy, that we haven't been in the conversation of being on the bubble at least in several years. So, so I, I believe it's from our standpoint, it's got to be seeding. Uh, but, it, but it, it, it's a hard job both ways, no matter if the tournament had 120 in it or had 32 in it, there's going to be eight to 10 teams that, that obviously feel like they've been left out and did enough to be in. So, so that's always hard getting that right. And, and that's an inexact science, but, but even seeding, I think would be more difficult than that. And, you know, there's a big difference between a 10 being a two uh, the last team on the two line or the first team on the four line. I mean, that's a huge difference. But I think there's going to be enough teams in there. When you talk about 16 teams that are or 20 teams that are all kind of jumbled together, there's going to be those hard discussions like that. Bill, appreciate it. I'll see you Saturday. Okay, Andy. Travel safe.
Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, it's time for Hashtag Cats Ranks on March Madness 365, where I look at a top 10 of the week. And this week, I want to take a look at the top 10 breakout freshmen who were ranked outside the preseason top 20 recruiting rankings. Look, rankings are just what they are. We love doing them. Everyone loves doing them. They're rankings. I don't want to criticize the people that are out there canvassing the country and the world, really, for all these recruits. They do a great job providing a great service for all of us to cover the sport. But it's hard to determine uh, who's going to break out uh, beyond the top 20. And you never know fit, injuries, and so on. So I wanted to look at the top 10 players right now who were not ranked in the top 20 coming in as freshmen. Kind of contributions are making. Let's start at number 10. James Booknight from UConn. He was suspended the first three games and has come in and been a real major part of the Huskies. Uh, maybe their best, um, you know, breakout guard, if you will. I mean, Altery Gilbert can hit a big shot, but long term, uh, it, it's going to go to uh, Booknight. Is he's going to be the one that's going to ultimately be that difference maker for them in the backcourt? At number nine, Drew Timmy from Gonzaga. They got a lot of freshmen coming in with this group. A lot of international players, a lot of transfers. But Timmy's probably been the most consistent freshman, hovering in that top six in scoring. Uh, You know, he's a big guy that can contribute a variety of ways. And as the season progresses, and especially as they monitor Killing Tilly's health with his knee and ankle and everything else, Timmy's role is going to increase even more. At number eight, Malik Hall from Michigan State. Had that 17-point outburst against Seton Hall. 7 for 7 from the field. He's been a real pleasant surprise for the Spartans. Not starting like Rocket Watts has, but Hall was not expected maybe to do as much as he's done so far. At number 7, Cassius Stanley from Duke. Now he's hurt, but early in the season, certainly in their big game, um, you know, earlier in the season at the Champions Classic, right off the bat against Kansas, he broke out there. And assuming he comes back and is a contributor the way he was before, you know, he could be behind Vernon Carey as the most important freshman on that Duke team. At number six, Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana. Uh, Really has been a stat stuffer for the Hoosiers of late. They've had a great start to the season. They had basically one game where they didn't play well. And outside of that, uh, he's been one of the most important players on the Hoosiers, uh, really around the basket, facing the basket, defensively, just a go-getter, everything for them. At number five, DJ Carton from Ohio State. Well, look, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't in the top 20, <laughs> so maybe this is a bit of a push, but uh, he has uh, been, you know, one of their lead guards. As a freshman, he's answered everything that he's supposed to. Uh, he's been reliable. And really a major part of why the Buckeyes uh, got off to such a blazing start before they lost on Sunday to Minnesota. At number four, Zeke Naji from Arizona. Another player that certainly could have been in the top 20. Uh, There's been times where he has looked like a double-double machine. uh, So active around the basket. Finishes on the break. A little bit of a a mini wall that he hit, I think, sort of the last couple weeks. But uh, he's still overall going to be highly productive for the Wildcats in their chase to get the Pac-12 title. At number three, Kofi Coburn from Illinois. Just watch the tape of Michigan. He was dominant. Phenomenal. 
Tremendous. So Coburn, uh, he's a rim protector. He can finish around the basket, run the floor. He is going to be something special at Illinois. And number two, Jamias Ramsey from Texas Tech. Before his hamstring injury, he was averaging 17 a game, leading the Red Raiders. Now, they weren't winning then. They beat Louisville without him. But when he comes back with this team, now Avery Benson playing well, uh, they're just going to be that much better. Hamstring's going to take a little while to come back, but he has been a real pleasant surprise in the Big 12 and nationally. And number one, Oscar Shabway from West Virginia. A double-double machine. Um, I mean, he could ultimately be a player that could average almost 20 boards. I mean, I'm not. that's not crazy. He's that much of a board just hound. I mean, the way he just finds it, the hunger for it. And him and Derek Culver, just the, the combination, makes West Virginia as tough a front court to defend and deal with as any other in the country. So that's my top 10 of breakout freshmen who are ranked outside the preseason top 20. And up next here on March Madness 365, David Warlock, the NCAA's Director of Media Coordination and Statistics, and of course the Media Coordinator for the Final Four. We're going to break down the new net rankings, first time this season they've been out. Remember, this is a key tool that the Selection Committee uses in selections and seedings of NCAA tournament teams. Dave, the net is out here as we tape on December 16th. These are rankings through uh, December 15th. And for those that aren't as familiar, because they still might have RPI in their head, um, what exactly is the net? Well, the net is the uh, NCAA evaluation tool that was introduced last year for the first time. Um, it's, a, a, we feel, a more modern, contemporary way of uh Looking at teams from an analytical standpoint, uh, the factors making up the team's net uh, include game results against Division One competition, the strength of schedule, the location of the game, uh, scoring margin is a factor, although it is capped at 10 points, and then net efficiency, so a team's offensive efficiency compared to its defensive efficiency. Um, so those are the, the primary factors. Uh, it's not the be-all, end-all, so a certain net ranking won't guarantee a team's inclusion in the tournament, nor uh, will a ranking um, prevent a team from being selected uh, into the tournament. So uh, it's just one of the tool, but it is the sorting tool, and so that's why it receives um, the, the greatest amount of attention, perhaps, uh, from uh, from the membership and, and even the media and fans. So a year ago, uh, it was, in its first time, it was uh, unveiled in November with you know, some results and maybe not enough. And the funny thing, by the way, sidebar, Ohio State was number one then, and now they're number one uh, a year later, the first time it's unveiled. Uh, a better Ohio State team, by the way. But um, what was the thinking in waiting till mid-December versus uh, dropping them in November? Well, first I'd say, you know, the the reason we unveiled it last year in November was because it, that's consistent when uh, we unveiled the first RPI rankings of the year. So we were just being consistent with what we always done and what uh, had um, become expected from our membership. Uh, this year, the committee discussed it at its summer meeting and ultimately decided, you know, a, a mid-December uh, release would be better from the standpoint of more data and it would make it uh, more relevant and, and, and more accurate. Last year, there was a, an uproar about the, the initial rankings, when, which I believe were the Monday after Thanksgiving. Um, 
And, you know, I, I think people went overboard with the criticism of the ranking, quite frankly. Ironically, you mentioned Ohio State being number one uh, in that initial ranking. Virginia was two and Texas Tech was three. They ended up playing in the national championship game, of course. Um, but a December 16th ranking uh, does you know, allow more data and just to, to make everything um, more relevant in, in a um, – and we'll do this the rest of the year every day now from, from now until Selection Sunday. So it'll change. It'll evolve over time as more data gets into the system. So just want to cherry pick a couple of things. I mean, for those that are clicking on it, and you can find it at NCAA.com uh, under net rankings, I mean, some of the key things that you can see are, you know, obviously your record, um, your conference record, your non-conference record, and your, but, but those aren't as important by themselves uh, I think it's the the latter part of this um, cheat sheet, as we like to call them, that I think are really where the emphasis is. And you tell me if I'm wrong here. It's the road record, the strength of schedule, the non-conference strength of schedule. Then you get into the quadrants, quadrant one, quadrant mm-hmm. two, three, and four. And, uh, for example, Baylor and Gonzaga in these first rankings are uh, at five and six. And as I scan these, um, you know, they're three and one each in quadrant one. Now go further down, um, I think around 15, if I'm counting, excuse me, they're 13, is Duke. They're four and oh. Now they have two quadrant four wins and one quadrant three loss. We know that was to Stephen F. Austin at home. And that's maybe why they're slid down. But tell me how much, how, how critical is that first column for those that, you know, are trying to grasp it. That first quadrant one, where as they rattled off, you got Baylor, Gonzaga, and Duke really just doing well in that quadrant one so far. Well, it's important because you know you mentioned you know the, the quadrant one. Well, what that is 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 where your opponents lie. And so you know, Dan Gavin, our vice president, says you know your net ranking uh, isn't isn't as important as your opponent's net ranking. So. You know, while some people may be uh, surprised at some of where teams are and maybe some fans are upset about where teams are as things stand on December 16th, the important thing to, re- to remember is not on a team sheet, it's sorted by your opponent's net ranking. So you you, you mentioned some of the teams with multiple wins in, in quadrant one. Well, well, what that is is based, based on the net rankings, um, the window gets wider for neutral site games and even wider for true road games. And so uh, if you're able to, to get a number of opponents in quadrant one and have success, uh, a reasonable amount of success against teams, I mean, that certainly enhances your resume. Um, but, you know, quad, quadrant two, you're, uh, by the end of the year, uh, teams will have uh, resumes littered with quality wins in quadrant two as well. And then you want to avoid – uh, if at all possible, losses, you know, in the fourth quadrant or, you know, your home losses, especially in, in the third quadrant. Again, none of this uh, guarantees anything as far as inclusion and exclusion into the tournament. But uh, the fewer losses on, on the resume, the better. And if your losses uh, are further to the left as you're looking as a, at a team sheet, that's certainly better than if they're on the right-hand side. But you have to demonstrate an ability to, to beat quality teams. So two other things I'm interested in here. First of all, like a team like Michigan where they're one and three in their quadrant one, which means they played a lot of good teams and three and oh in quadrant two. Hypothetically, if you had a ton of quadrant one games, but you didn't win many of them um, and you had, you know, good wins in two, three and four, obviously, how does that affect 
a team, uh, and I know it's early, so I'm not picking on Michigan or anything like that, but like, let's say you have a team that ends up having sort of a lopsided quadrant one and a lot other you know, positive things in two, three, four. Well, I think you, you have to have some success. Uh, you know, if a team gets, you know, seven, eight, ten opportunities at, at quadrant one opponents and comes up empty, I mean, that is clearly not uh, viewed favorably by the committee. A history would suggest that. You can make up for it with uh, an abundance of wins, you know, in quadrant two, you could possibly make up for it. But it, um, so it wouldn't necessarily impact your selection, but your seating could be impacted if your record in quadrant one was poor. You know, it's early in the season. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Michigan, so I use them as an example. They they obviously have a, a high-quality win um, against Gonzaga and, you know, a, a couple of losses, including, you know, this weekend at home to Oregon. But those are, are obviously, you know, losing at Illinois, losing at Louisville, losing at home to Oregon. Those are bad losses. The important thing with Michigan is they're going to have several opportunities as we get into Big, Big Ten play to get additional quadrant one wins. And so, um, you know, most of the games on Michigan's schedule are going to fall, you know, from here on out are going to fall in those, you know, first two uh, quadrants. And so they'll have plenty of opportunities to get to get, uh, good wins. You mentioned they're one and three in quadrant one, but you know they're also three and zero oh in quadrant two, and those those are good wins. They have a couple of neutral site wins over teams like Iowa State and North Carolina, who could um, help Michigan by helping themselves and, do, and doing better as the season progresses. And the last thing, Dave, that I think fans will enjoy that to know that that you know teams in the you know st- stereotypical sort of one bid leagues or. Uh, off the grid a little bit, I think are getting rewarded here for great starts. And, and I'm just going to cherry pick a couple. I mean, for example, Liberty, which as we're talking right now, um, I think they're 12-0 and overall, but that's 10-0 and in Division One. Um, you know, they're at 19 right now. Duquesne, they're one of the remaining undefeated teams as well. They're at 20. Um, and both those schools have poor strength of schedules for now. Uh, but they're being recognized. Northern Iowa, which had that win over Colorado, they're at 28. And then if I just shoot back up to the top, you know, San Diego State, the other undefeated team right now, they're at number three, uh, and they have that road win uh, at BYU. So the net is rewarding teams that are playing well, you know, to this point, even if their strength of schedules aren't equal, you know, necessarily to their ranking. Yeah, I think, I mean, the um, – you want teams to get rewarded for winning, and um, then the, the next layer of that, you want teams uh, to be rewarded for winning against quality competition. And then the, the final layer that's also important is you want teams to be rewarded for winning away from home. And you know, you, you mentioned Liberty; they have the win, um, you know, at, at Vanderbilt. I think was was their best win. They yep. off of yep. a number of neutral site wins, and and I'm sure they have an, another road win here and there. But they also don't have any losses, so you know, no warts on their resume as well. So they haven't played the greatest, you know, strength of schedule right now. But you know, they've won a lot of games, you know, away from their home court, and have been rewarded, you know, for that sort of effort. You know, they're going to play, you know, some home games and uh, some more road games, especially as you get into conference. And you know, it's 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 way too early for everyone to panic over, you know, whether it's a it's a a team from a league that traditionally gets one bid or if it's a team from a power five conference, it's way too early to panic about uh, a team's net ranking 
at, the, at this time that more data is going to come into it. It'll it'll change tomorrow morning when we wake up. Uh, although the, obviously this is with with exams going on, this is a light week on the schedule, probably as light as it gets. You know, other than uh, the week of Christmas, but the more data that's in there, the the, the more the, the rankings will continue to evolve. There's always going to be outliers if you look at some of the other prominent metrics out there. Um, there, there are going to be teams ranked top 20 in one metric and you know in, in the 50s in another. Uh, that's the nature of the beast. But uh, we're confident in the net. Um, the, the committee uses it, but it's not the sole tool in the box, so to speak. Um, there's more than just metrics when it comes to analyzing the quality of basketball teams, and there's more than just the net when it comes to using metrics. There's, there's you know, several other metrics that get used. And when, when there are outliers, the committee's going to dig in as to, you know, what are the possible reasons for those outliers? Why is there a discrepancy between one uh, metric and another for, you know, specific teams? And um, it's, it's always good discussion points, especially in December, but, you know, people need to, you know, be cautioned by the fact that, you know, these will change and sometimes dramatically change over the course of the next couple of months. David, I appreciate it. I know we'll be tracking this throughout the course of the season. Thank you for shedding light on it. Thank you, Andy. Good to be with you. And as advertised, now joining me, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Time for some predictions. Chad, first of all, how did I do last week? Uh, Andy, it was another just above average week. You went six and four, uh, but some of the some of your wins were pretty impressive. You nailed uh, uh, Illinois' big win over Michigan. You nailed Penn State's big win over Maryland, uh, but you did miss on some of those some of those tight games with with uh, Iowa State. You know, losing to Iowa. You had the, the Michigan, uh, but they fell to Oregon. Uh, you had Tennessee, and they lost at home to Memphis. And you had Louisville, uh, and they lost to Texas Tech. So a lot of upsets last week. Uh, Andy, any thoughts on your picks last week? Well, first of all, I got to have a few more wins. What were my other wins? Oh, I mean, I mean, you had some others like you had Indiana. You nailed the Baylor over Butler pick. Uh, you had Georgetown over uh, what, Syracuse, and then Gonzaga uh, getting a big road win at Arizona. Yeah, see, I think that that's significant. That I I nailed the the Gonzaga win. Uh, I had doubters in the Big Ten, even though we've now seen a pretty good trend that literally every Big Ten road team uh, has lost. So that's going into Wednesday's Michigan State at Northwestern game. If that goes Northwestern's way, then literally all their two December Big Ten uh, games, every Big Ten home team will have won. So that's not a reach when you look at that. And I had confidence that Illinois and Penn State were going to play better at home. Gonzaga on the road proved it at Washington, felt good about Arizona. Uh, same thing with Baylor at home against Butler. That game was close. And look, Michigan dug itself a huge hole against Oregon, came all the way back, went into overtime, not able to close out. That was a great win for Oregon, by the way. That's going to have tremendous shelf life. I was completely wrong on Louisville, but I don't think I was alone. Uh, Texas Tech was missing Jemias Ramsey, their top scorer. So I, I don't mind that one. Because I don't think I was wrong. You know, Tennessee didn't play well at all. Really, neither t- team did offensively. Well, they, they started Memphis had a great road win. They just fell apart. <laughs> yes. So, you know, look, that one, I think it certainly could have gone either way. But, I mean, the biggest miss probably was Louisville-Texas Tech. But I'd like to know how many people really thought Texas Tech was going to win that game. Yeah, not many. Um and speaking of your Big Ten home note, Andy, I think it'd be a shocker if Northwestern ended up beating Michigan State. Uh, but we'll see if it holds true. Uh, before we get into these predictions, Andy, I want to I give a little feedback that we had on social about your Power 36. 
the Razorback fans are wondering, where's Arkansas, Andy? You know, the must-bust, they're kind of rolling along. What are they, 9-1 and one now? What's Arkansas got to do to crack the power 36? So I looked at our Arkansas quite a bit, and I debated them, because as you get further back in the power 36, you start to get into a territory where you could go in so many different directions. They're doing great. They've won 9 of 10. But as you really examine their... Their roster here, okay, of, of games. Who have they beaten? They won at Georgia Tech by one. This is a Georgia Tech team that got smoked at home by Syracuse, which I just saw lost to Georgetown without four players. That was a banked-in okay? buzzer beater, too, at Tech. Yeah, so let's do transitive property there. They lost at Western Kentucky. Uh, Western Kentucky no longer has its best player, uh, Charles Bassey. Yep. Okay, so um, that's their one loss. So, I mean, I, that's what I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Their game at Indiana after yep. Christmas is going to tell us a lot. That's what I was going to point out. Big game at Indiana coming up. Uh, but, and let's dive into this week. Uh, we've got several good games. Let's start off with Tennessee and Cincinnati. Uh, if the stats are correct, I believe this is their first meeting since 1993. Who you got? Well, if you saw the Cincinnati um, Colgate game, uh, Jaron Cumberland misread some time and score. Uh, crazy ending where he heaves up a shot when the game is tied. There's a foul and Colgate wins. Um, that game was at home. Uh, and uh, you would say, okay, is t- Cincinnati going to at least hold serve at home against Tennessee team? But I think Rick Barnes is going to have his guys ready for this game after playing poorly down the stretch against Memphis at home. I like the road team here. I like the Vols. I think overall they're a better basketball team. I'm going with Tennessee. All right, and later Wednesday night, it's a game that was supposed to be a pretty hyped-up matchup uh, before UNC's latest losing streak and then losing Cole Anthony to that injury. Uh, but, Andy, North Carolina at Gonzaga, does North Carolina have a chance here? Uh, I don't think so. I'm still going. I want to see the Zags in person. And so uh, I'll be there uh, for us. And uh, I think – Gonzaga could run away kind of the way this happened last year. If you remember when Gonzaga played at North Carolina last year, it was on a stretch where they had been on the road and um, they were just beat down a little and the timing wasn't great for that game for them and they got run out of uh, the Smith Center. I could see the same thing happening for Carolina, especially, I mean, there's no indication right now that Cole Anthony's going to be able to play, so I don't anticipate him playing. He didn't play against Wofford, a team they just lost to uh, on Sunday. Second time, by the way, that Wofford's won at North Carolina, kind of bizarre. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Zags. And then Thursday, Andy, we've got another team that might have another injury on our hands. It's Maryland at Seton Hall. Uh, after Seton Hall's loss to Rutgers, Kevin Willard came out and said that Miles Powell asked why they were practicing against Rutgers. You never know about concussions. They're always tricky. I haven't heard if he's going to play, and I don't know if you have either. But, Andy, who you got winning this matchup with Maryland and Seton Hall? So, once again, if had you asked me three weeks ago, I would have said for sure Seton Hall. I would have thought they'd be rolling, you know, top 10 team, even though this would be a top 10 game. But, yes, uh, the fact that, A, um, Miles Powell is definitely an unknown right now. If, is he under concussion protocol? As we're taping, we don't know. But uh, the fact they did not play well at all against Rutgers um, on the road, uh, they're dealing with other injuries as well. Um, you remember they're playing this game now without Sandro because he's hurt. You know, if both those guys are gone, that's their top two scores. And so if that's the case, then uh, there's no question. I think Maryland wins and bounces back after their most recent defeat. Yeah, I agree with that pick. 
Now, Andy, this next game is a game that last week I'm not sure we would have picked. Uh, but after their <laughs> win against UNC, I feel like we got to ask it, Andy. You know, no Mike Young, no Fletcher McGee, no problem. Uh, Wofford's rolling. Can they get back-to-back tobacco road victories at Duke? No, I don't think so. I just don't think they'll have an answer for Vernon Carey. Uh, he's the difference maker for the Blue Devils right now. So as much as that would be an improbable sweep, ACC teams don't sweep Duke and Carolina on the road. I'm going to go with the Blue Devils. Okay, safe pick there. Uh, how about NC State at Auburn? Auburn, one of the few unbeaten teams. Uh, are they going to stay unbeaten? Yes. Uh, I like this NC State team. I rank them in my power 36. Although it was a buzzer beater, a pretty deep one by Markel Johnson to knock off uh, Greensboro on the road. Um, this is an NC State team that I think will be just has that bubblicious look. I think they'll be right in the thick of that second tier in the ACC, which is really not as deep this year. But I like Auburn to remain undefeated. All right, how about Saturday? Kansas at Villanova, two teams that are definitely familiar with each other. Kansas, you know, won last year, and then the year before that, uh, Villanova knocked off the Jayhawks in that 2018 Final Four. Andy, who comes away with this one? So I have vacillated on this one back and forth. You know, Kansas is the better team. Uh, Villanova is still sort of finding itself, although they've played better lately. But they don't have a signature win yet. And the Wildcats need one. Uh, And I think it's going to be rocking. I'm going to be at this game for Fox. Uh, I like the Wildcats to upset the Jayhawks and force another new number one next week. Yeah, just so many top top five teams have been losing lately. It's insane. Uh, I actually think Kansas will come up with a nice road win here. Andy, let's jump to a few just neutral site games. You've got the the Crossroad Classic uh, in Indy. You've got a pair of games here. You've got Indiana, Notre Dame, and Purdue and Butler. Who wins both of these matchups? So if you remember last year, Notre Dame upset Purdue in this event. Then Rex Fluger got hurt, tore his ACL, and it changed the direction for the Irish. Um You know, Notre Dame's been one of my kind of disappointing teams. I thought they'd be much better at this point in the season. Thought they would be a tournament-type team. I'm not feeling that right now. Indiana, yes, they, you know, had close call against Nebraska and didn't play well against Wisconsin, but they had the road win or neutral court win, I should say, against UConn at the Garden. I like Indiana in Indianapolis to beat Notre Dame. Um, uh, You know, I just think the way that their three guards are playing now that they're all healthy – Rob Finnessy, Al Durham, and Devontae Green, I think that's a difference for the Hoosiers. How about that second game, Purdue and Butler? So Purdue coming off a really poor performance at Nebraska. Butler played really well despite losing to Baylor. I'm going with the Bulldogs. Okay. Now, later Saturday, you've got the CBS Sports Classic. It kind of reminds you of the Champions Classic with the, with the teams that are involved. But, Andy, the first game, you've got UCLA and UNC. Uh, and then the second game, you've got Ohio State, Kentucky. That second game, a lot better. Uh, but Andy, who wins the first one with, between UCLA and UNC? Well, this is a tough one. I mean, there'd be no reason to pick UCLA, um, you know, just a week ago. Uh, and I'm now anticipating that Carolina is going to lose maybe by double figures at Gonzaga on Wednesday. They stay on the road, then they go down to Vegas from Spokane, uh, but UCLA's just played so poorly. They got run, basically, by a, a very average Notre Dame team. So even without Cole Anthony, um, you know, I think this is going to be an ugly game. No I mean, doubt. This could be like a 50-47 game, but I'm going to say Carolina sort of ekes it out in, in large part because I, I have a hard time seeing Carolina losing three in a row, 
uh, which would have happened if you're looking at Wofford at home, at Gonzaga, and then neutral UCLA. So I'm going to go with Carolina. Yeah, you'd like to think, you know, after losing Cole and then these these what could be two losses or, you know, even more losses, uh, they'd find a way to regroup. The other guys find a way to step up and take on a new role. Um, Andy, a much better and hopefully a much more visually appealing game to watch. you got Ohio State and Kentucky. Uh, who wins that one? So um, Ohio State will have a, a game um, – you know, Tuesday night against Southeast Missouri State to sort of reset after losing Sunday night against Minnesota. Uh, Kentucky, uh, this now begins their stretch because they've sort of had a gap of elite games, if you will, uh, and amid all those, you know, they lost at home to Evansville. So I think actually Ohio State, now the big question will be, does Dwayne Washington play? He didn't play against Minnesota. Um, But I, I have a feeling Ohio State, sort of resets itself. I think they're the better team. Uh, Caleb Wesson didn't play as well against Minnesota. Um, I know there's a rotation of bigs against Kentucky. So, uh, and Ashton Higgins, by the way, is playing well for Kentucky. But I think it's going to be a great game, a late possession game. But I'm going to go with the Buckeyes on a neutral court in Vegas. All right, how about another neutral site game? It's Dayton and Colorado in Chicago. What you got? So this is a great hidden gem game. And I'll tell you another reason. Because... McKinley Wright IV originally committed to Dayton under Archie Miller. Then he wanted to go to Indiana, but there was no scholarship for him, so he didn't follow Archie Miller. Ends up at Colorado. Totally falls into the lap of Tad Boyle, one of the best guards in the Pac-12. Now he's going against the Dayton team that he really, you know, had the coaching carousel not happen, he'd be playing for them. So, um, he'll be amped for this game. Um, They lost to Northern Iowa. They need this game. Dayton, obviously, has been playing very well since uh, finishing uh, to uh, runner-up to Kansas in the Maui Invitational. Uh, But I I just have a feeling that Colorado and McKinley Wright are going to step up and take this one in Chicago. All right, in the last game, it's a neutral site, I guess, by title. Uh, But, Andy, it's, it's the Air Force Reserve Basketball Hall of Fame Classic. It's in L.A. at the Staples Center. Uh, It's LSU and USC. Who you got winning this one? I'm going to go with USC. Um, LSU, you know, their best win right now. Uh, you know, I guess you could say it's Utah State down in, um, in Jamaica. But um, I'm going to go with the Trojans. Uh, Onekwa Okongwu has been one of the best freshmen in the country. So uh, I'm going to, I just think that he's going to have a great game inside. Their win when they came back. Um, and BTCU in Fort Worth on a, a neutral as well. Uh, I thought, you know, proved a lot because they could have easily let that game slip away. They did lose that home game to Temple, but I think they've sort of reset themselves since then. So I'm going to go with USC in this one, which will really give the Pac-12, if this happens, you know, two really quality wins on the back end of the week. Andy, how much value are you putting with USC being able to play in L.A., even though it's you know not their home court? Like, is, is that the deciding factor for you? If this game was on the East Coast at a neutral site, would you have picked LSU? Possibly. Um, but I, I think USC is just better. But um, you're right. I might have. But, you know, that, that's the beauty of and – and it's nice to see what USC is doing here because, you know, a lot of teams aren't going to want to go to the Galen Center. But if they can use – Staples as a neutral court to get teams to play them. And we notice this, that, uh, that Arizona State is doing this as well at where the, uh, where the Suns play um, in Phoenix, you know, where you can get teams to play there. Uh, so you can get, you know, quality games. They got a St. Mary's game coming up. So, I mean, you know, being able to do that, 
I think helps scheduling with a lot of these different teams when you have a pro arena that's in your city to at least get teams to play you. Uh, even technically it's not a neutral, but you should have the advantage. Yeah, and it gives us a lot of good matchups like this one. Well, Andy, that's all I've got. We'll revisit these, what, 12 picks next week? Yes, it'll be our pod before Christmas, uh, and then we're going to keep this going, obviously, before and after. Uh, got the Louisville-Kentucky game uh, sandwiched uh, right uh, after Christmas. So, yeah, a lot of good games this week. A new number one, uh, and the revolving door continues. Uh, the net rankings came out, as you heard earlier on the podcast, so uh, we've got something to really work with that, uh, to start to evaluate these teams. Because I thought this was good that they waited a little bit longer to do this. So there's a little bit more of a true understanding of, uh, of results. So that's all very big positive. But more than anything, I think at the end of the day, we're still going to have name teams, brand names are going to be in Atlanta. I couldn't tell you which ones, though, because <laughs> you know, the, the, the seeding process is going to be a nightmare for the selection committee because the difference between – you know, a three, four, five, six is going to be so thin because so many of these teams are going to look similar. Really, maybe ones and twos. Uh, it's really going to be difficult and uh, it's going to be hard to be correct because uh, what we're seeing this season, there's, I think there's good parity. As long as we have competitive games, that's all I care about. Um, we don't necessarily need a team that's going to be 30 in a row. It's great, you know, because it's a team to knock down, but um, the revolving door keeps a lot of teams and a lot of schools interested for sure. So, Chad, as always, thank you. I appreciate you keeping me on my toes on all this. Uh, And as always, wherever you find your podcast, make sure you download March Madness 365. Check all our content on our March Madness Twitter handle, Facebook, and NCAA.com. Thanks for listening.